You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew! Ew! Sadness is in the house! Oh no! Hello! I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome to Stage Left, a bi-monthly podcast where we talk about the latest shows on Broadway and beyond. I'm your host, Rob Russo, writer, theater critic, and founder of StageLeft.nyc, and co-host and co-producer of the Fabulous Invalid podcast, also on the Broadway Podcast Network. This podcast provides a platform for younger critics and theater journalists with the goal of broadening the cultural conversation to elevate and include as many diverse perspectives as possible. I'm dying to know what's across the road, what's behind the wall, what's around the corner. And what will it take till I find my way? Will it be today? Will it be too late? Wait till you see what's next. Just Joining me this week is Christian Lewis, a freelance theater critic and a member of the Outer Critics Circle, whose work can be found on Medium and in American Theater Magazine. Welcome to the show, Christian. Hi, Rob. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited to, have you. to be here. Yes, yes. Uh, and returning for round two is yes. Ayanna Prescott, <laughs> a freelance theater critic and the founder of our BK Social, whose work can be found in Vibe Magazine and in Exeunt Magazine. Welcome back, Ayanna. Thanks for having me back, Rob. Oh, we've been waiting to have you back <laughs> since the first episode. Um, well, this week we're going to take a look at Best Wall's new play, Grand Horizons, at Second Stage Theater on Broadway. Uh, the new revival of Little Shop of Horrors at Westside Theater off-Broadway, and this season's musical juggernaut, judging by the box office, uh, Moulin Rouge, the musical. <laughs> Ayanna's already rolling her eyes. I can't no. wait to get to that combo. Uh, perfect. Okay. It's be a fight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, okay, great. Well, to, to warm us up then, uh, we're going to start uh, with Grand Horizons. So I'll give a, a short little overview in case uh, folks listening didn't see it. Um, so in this funny, shocking, and painfully honest new play by Bess Wall, Bill and Nancy, a married couple celebrating their 50th anniversary and settling into a new retirement community, upend their family's life when Nancy declares she wants a divorce. As their two adult sons struggle to cope with the shocking news, they are forced to question everything they assumed about the people they thought they knew best. So that is Grand Horizons, uh, currently at the Helen Hayes Theater on Broadway. What do we think? Uh, yes to amazing <laughs> female characters. Yes, yes. I feel like the female characters are so powerful. Mm. Um, Priscilla, Priscilla, she's like the god of Priscilla this show. Priscilla Lopez, she's legend. like in it for like legend. ten minutes. Yes, <laughs> at the and, top of Act Two. Yeah, yes, yes. and it's it's extremely powerful. Um, I just love the depth of the show. Mm-hmm. I love shows about old people. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Give me like three tall women. Yes. Give uh, me in the height of the storm, and I'm like obsessed. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Lately, I've just been really over like 
straight people theater mm-hmm. and like things that I'm like I've seen this a million times yeah. and like is this a big deal for straight people? Um, <laughs> but, so to see a show that was about something I had never seen before, like to have this older couple just start the show saying I want to get divorced, all right, and then like the aftermath of that was so cool. I couldn't stop thinking about Marriage Story, the movie mm. that I was mm. just like not the biggest fan of. That I was like, Same. we have a lot of this story. We don't right. have a lot of Grand Horizons. Which right, was why I loved it so yeah. much. Yeah, well, I mean, they're they're just so. I mean, we we know this just from consuming media. There's so few roles of like depth and range for older actors. Yeah, it's yeah. insane, especially older women. Yeah, and uh, this cast. I'm, I I wrote down the list because it's like. All stars, right? Jane Alexander, James Cromwell, Priscilla Lopez, who we mentioned, That's Ben it. McKenzie in his Broadway debut, Malik Panchali, Ashley Park, and Michael Urie. Like, oh. oh my God. Talk yeah. about a cast of incredible stars. actors. Yeah. All right? stars. Yes. And Lee Silverman, female director, yeah. who has done just incredible work. Amazing Season work. after season. And Beth, just so amazing. I was so excited to see this after Make Believe, which was like yes. one of the highlights of my end summer, whenever that was. Totally. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I am such a fan of her work. This is the third play of hers I've seen, and the third in six months that I've seen of Best Walls, which is incredible. Uh, the first that I saw was Continuity, which was at Manhattan Theater Club last summer. That. Yeah, it was in their, their second stage. It had a very short run. I feel like everyone I, told, I talk about this play to was like, oh, I didn't see it. I'm like, I oh, I hope I wish you would come back. Um, but that was directed by Rachel, Rachel Chapkin. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, can we and then, also talk about the drama character? The drama teacher character? Oh, yes, Michael Murray's like, character. The best character ever yes. besides the women um, <laughs> but it's just like the quintessential I'm always messing up that word um, drama character is like we're all we're always searching for someone. We're like lonely. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then he's like producing a play. The Crucible with three hundred kids people. in it. It's yeah. like, yeah. It's like, come on. It's the best character <laughs> ever. Well, that's the thing. I mean, what I love about <clears throat> Bess's writing. I feel like I'm on a first name basis with her. I'm, I'm just going to call Same. her Bess. I started. <laughs> that's okay. Right. And after continuity, which was, um, you know, this sort of like noises off style farce set on a movie set in uh, the desert. But it was a movie that was taking place on a glacier, and they were filming it in the desert. And the whole place, you know, slowly becomes this parable, parable about climate change. Um, mm. And then Make Believe, which uh, I don't know if you saw it, Diana. Yeah, it was the oh. second stage last summer. Did I miss it? Um, oh my god! <laughs> which starts off as sort of this like mysterious kind of comedy, and then reveals itself to be like about the like traumatic after effects of child abuse. Um, mm. And what I love about her writing, and I, you know, this, I mean, I think a lot of writers do this, and it's one of like you know, the oldest tricks in the book, if you can use that phrase. But her plays start out as one thing and then become something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that journey and it and and the characters that she writes are just are are, are so mimic developed. that structure as and well, so right? Developed. Yes, yes. It's just so mm-hmm. clear that she has such a great grasp on like the history of theater and mm-hmm. playwriting yeah. that you go in and you think she's doing a very simple type of play. Right. Like Grand Horizons, you think it's a Neil Simon comedy and then right. it gets so much more than that. Yeah. And that's right. she's just yeah. it's it's so structurally sound. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's one of my favorite plays this season. Wow, okay. Yeah. Amazing. So I will say, now I to put on my like Grinch hat, I I <laughs> I thoroughly enjoy the experience of seeing it. I love her writing. I love okay. every single one of those actors. I thought they were all terrific. When I stepped away from the experience though, to me it just it wasn't like super superlative. Like I enjoyed mm. every piece of it and I, I can't I've been struggling in the weeks since seeing it to like articulate exactly what it is about the play that just didn't do it for me. And I think what I've landed on, and this might sound silly, is the set design. 
So was bland. Yes. So it's set in a retirement community, and the idea, right, is that there are these these cookie cutter units that are built right. for older um, older folks all to live in the same. that all look the same, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the set designer Clint Ramos, Ramos. Ramos? Ramos. Ramos. Mm-hmm. Clint Ramos. Um, I, if, there's a na- if there's a way to pronounce the name wrong, I will do it. That's my pledge to, <laughs> to listeners of this podcast. Um, but, you know, he's one of the great, you know, set designers on Broadway. But I, I kept on thinking about something that Hal Prince said regarding musicals, which is if you, you can't listen to a musical if you can't look at it. And I had a hard time at the show. Also, the stage at the Hellenist Theater is really high up. It's very. And so, if you're very sitting, bad architecture, yes, amazing. If you're Literally sitting in the, in first, the first row, oh my gosh, like traumatizing. Yes, you're like craning your neck mm-hmm. to look. I was in like the fifth row, and I was still craning my neck. Yeah. That that aside, the set to me it was just white, it was all yeah. white. Everything was white, and it looked like a set. It looked fake to me. And I don't know if that was intentional or not, or if it was a budget thing, or I don't know. But in particularly where I was sitting, I could see under the kitchen table and like still had a sticker on it. Like it just, it, it felt very Ooh. false to me. And that kept pulling me out of the play. Interesting. I, I was like, that. I was craving sure. something beige, first of all. <laughs> just like something other than this harsh, and it's, it was lit incredibly bright as well. I don't know, yeah. maybe that was the combination of the set and the yeah. lighting. I don't know, but that for me was just, and then during the scene changes, so it was like ninjas came out to, you know, clean up whatever was on the stage. Yeah. And like for such a, a well written play and such a well acted play, and like in the year 2020 of our Lord, like are we still <laughs> not able to figure out scene transitions without yeah. having people come in and to like clean off a table? Yeah, Especially yeah, with like yeah, cleaning off props that they used. So it would have been like a very logical directorial choice to have the actors clean right. up. Right. I thought it was weird. I know. And it really like, yeah, it took me out at first. And I love Lee Silverman. I, I, I'd love to like call her up and just be like, hey, Why? so what? Yeah, like, yeah. I'm sure she had a reason for it. Yeah. I, I just, to me as a consumer of it, I, I couldn't. I couldn't understand that. I, I feel like I got the old people's home, though. Like, that's what it looks like. Yeah. It's dull. Yeah. It's, like, not it's exciting. Fair. Yeah, and they had just moved in after a lifetime of probably living right. somewhere else. So yeah. right. that sense of displacement, that sense of it being rather, like... But um, after the first act, I was, like, in the front row is very intense. Yes, well, yes, the moment. end of act one. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was just yeah. like... We won't disclose here in case anyone goes to yeah, see it. Because no you spoilers. Wanna, you want to experience that live. It's very intense to not sit in the first row. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, well, the only other thing that I will say, which I didn't think of while seeing the play, but mm. I read Helen Shaw's review. Um, I love her. I, where I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed, obsessed with Helen She's Shaw. She's my best. favorite. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and she made the point that I thought was quite interesting and, you know, that the family are all white, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that every other sort of outsider, I'm using air quotes right now, mm-hmm. that comes in is a person of color. Mm. And yeah. and that was it was not that way when the show was done at, at Williamstown Theater Festival um, in 2019 or 2018 I forget what year. Um, so I don't know if that sh- if that was intentional if they're trying to if, if Lee Silverman and Bess Wall are trying to say something with that casting choice. Maybe, I, I feel like they're just trying to diversify Helen, a show that could totally go all white. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Helen made right. this point that the family itself is just so white. Yeah. The actors and like so is the set. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But that by casting all of the, like, secondary characters as people of color, it put this bizarre emotional burden and vibe that those are the characters that are offering advice and that she described as, like, more in touch with their bodies. Right. Mm. And that, like, it takes, like, people of color who are more in touch with their bodies to help the, like, privileged white people. And that, like, it made a slightly, like, 
what she thought was like kind of a political weird That's a good point. I feel like that's everywhere though. Like Mm -hmm. people of color are always like the help me. Right. Instead of getting what we need. It's, I feel like that's more than just theater. Right. I didn't see it as that in this particular play. Um, I just feel like she was just trying to diversify. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Literally, exactly. Be yeah, white. because that is that is a critique of all the nonprofit theaters on Broadway, yeah. Yeah. on Broadway that like their seasons are too white because their subscribers are too white, and it's like yeah. let's yeah. try to shake things up a little. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, I really think that having Ashley Park's character like played by a woman of color mm-hmm. felt like it made sense a lot, mm-hmm. and I was like, this makes sense because exactly she was like that felt true. Like she is the type of woman of color who has to like be explaining and carrying things to her white partner all the time. Like mm-hmm. right. I feel like that made sense. Also, I just, she was so amazing in this role. Her background mm-hmm. acting when she was not speaking in Act Two, she had a full meltdown, like without a line mm-hmm. in the middle of Act Two. And I was that's like, good this acting. is acting. Yeah, yeah. That's she good is acting. a phenomenal comedian. Mm-hmm. She had nothing for like five pages and she like had a yeah. panic attack in the yeah. corner. Yeah, I can't wait for her, Millie. Ugh. Oh, and Encore's yes. Yeah. I need more yeah. Park in my life. I know, she's so good. Encore's she can also, this, this is, crazy. you know, totally just going down a rabbit <laughs> hole, but she can dance. Yes. In Mean Girls, that dance break at the end of Act One, oh my God, yeah. she crushed I feel it. I like I've seen Mean Girls so long ago that <laughs> I, I don't know. remember. <laughs> That's neither here nor there. I just, it just came into my and mind. I remember everyone was talking about like something more happening with K pop. And then nothing yeah. ever happened. Yeah. I yeah. thought there was going to be another production rumors somewhere. Rumors. Yeah. And it didn't happen. But at least yeah. we get Ashley here and we get Ashley for Millie. Which exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Ugh. Amazing. Cool. Um, all righty. Well, I feel like we've set our say on, on Grand Horizons. It runs through March 1st, so not much longer um, at the Helena Theater. And I don't think they have an opportunity to probably extend much because Take Me Out is coming I think they only leave like right after. two weeks in between, yeah. so mm-hmm. they give themselves like a week to yeah. extend. Which I'm excited about. I'm excited about Take Me Out. Yeah, me too. I didn't see it the first time because yeah. I was a child. So <laughs> <laughs> so therefore we all were, right? Yeah, yeah there you go. Uh, amazing. Okay, so... Um... We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see... We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Second show we're going to talk about, as I said at the top, is Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, So I'll give a little synopsis, although I don't think anybody needs a synopsis of this show. But I'm going to do it just in case there's someone out there listening who doesn't know what what the show's about. Uh, This is a revival of a campy sci-fi musical from 1982 based on the cult film from the 1960s about a nerdy, down-on-his-luck florist clerk who buys and nourishes a mysterious Venus flytrap-like plant, which he names for his beloved co-worker, Audrey II. Uh, Well, Audrey, and then he names it Audrey II. Um, And it requires a particular appetite to stay alive uh, Mm -hmm. and eventually grows to threaten the entire human race. Uh, So this is Little Shop of Horrors. I don't know about you two, but I grew up watching the film, Mm -hmm. the 1986 film with Rick uh, Rick Moranis and Ellen Green. I was obsessed with that movie. Mm -hmm. I love this musical, and... 
to me, this is just a perfect production of Little Shop. I've just seen a lot of like community theater, high school, it's college a popular, productions. It's a popular Everyone one. does it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of times I've seen like a lot of bad productions of Little Shop. Yeah. So although it's so much fun, I was like, oh, great. Get to see another production another, of Little right. Shop. Yeah. And I went and like my mouth was open and so happy and laughing and enjoying it like more than I ever thought possible. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I realized I should be listening to this show more. Like every single song is a bop. Mm-hmm. Like it is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Urch. Do they call the three girls the urchins? The, the street yeah. urchins. The That's th- right. Street, yeah. They yeah. were phenomenal. Yeah. There was one girl though I didn't understand what she was saying. Yes. I thought well, there was like a mic or a sound so mixing issue. It's interesting. So I've seen it twice. Yeah, I, same. I went when Jonathan Groff was in it, and then I went when Gideon Glick sub for him, and now Gideon Glick is back yeah. mm-hmm. uh, through March fifteenth, and then Jeremy Jordan is taking on uh, the role of Seymour after him. Um, but both times. So the first time I was like, oh, maybe they're just having like mic problems with this this particular performance. The second time I was like, nope, nope, they're nope. still kind yeah. of incomprehensible. You can't yeah. understand it's a word they're saying. I know every single lyric to the show, so yeah. it didn't affect so, my right. experience. But if you don't, you're not going to really understand. And they it. have yeah. all the notes. Yeah. They don't have all the words per se. I don't right. know if it's them or the sound mixing. Correct. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. Ben Brantley in his review chalked it up to the sound mixing. Of That's the, what I in, thought in, it in was. the house. That they it's just not, seemed so talented that I was like, I bet they have good diction. So yeah. Good. If they yeah. can sing this good, they can like yeah. have a good enunciation. So I have right. to blame a tech issue. I yeah. had to see it twice because I felt like I was watching them the first no. time, Same. and I missed. A lot of what was happening. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, let me go back to see it because I know that they're like mesmerizing yeah, these three girls. So Our good. theme today is background acting. Like, yeah. yes. <laughs> the three of them, too, putting, they were on stage almost the whole show, which yeah. I've never seen yeah. a production yeah. do that before. Mm-hmm. And they were so distracting in the best way possible. So, yeah. so they were good. giving the entire two mm-hmm. hours. Well, my, I mean, after seeing it, my, my big takeaway, because I, you know, I, I'd seen the revival in 2003 on Broadway which was not successful at all. Mm. Um, Hunter Foster and Carrie Butler uh, were, you know, uh, Seymour and Audrey. Um, Mm. And it was not successful. And, you know, I think the, it was my first time seeing it on stage because I had grown up with the film. So I didn't really like understand what wasn't gelling. But after seeing this production, it, totally makes sense why that production didn't work and that is this is not a Broadway show. No. This mm-hmm. is a it's small tiny, tiny yes. campy mm-hmm. off-Broadway musical mm-hmm. that needs to be in a 270 seat mm-hmm. theater. Uh, and that's you know that's that's where it was created. It and played it needs a cast that's for, too small for the show. Just like it right. needs purposely yes. not enough right. actors. Yes, you need right, to be right, doubling right, right. and tripling yes. up the characters. Like Christian playing 20 roles yes. is what kills is so good. Right. Yes. Or if you have like of an, ensemble, an additional ensemble of six or something, it's much less funny. Yeah, yeah. The other big takeaway for me was just the brilliance of Howard Ashman, who wrote and yeah. did the lyrics, and wrote the book, did the lyrics, and directed the original production. So the whole concept of what we think of as Little Shop is really, it's Howard Ashman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he tragically died um, of AIDS in 1992, 91, 92. Um, and it's like you just sit back and you think like, oh, what were we deprived of? I know. You know, like if he could create this and The Little Mermaid and, you know, like all, all these great works and, you know, it's just so tragic. But his legacy lives on through yeah. the show. Through and the show, this sure. production is just, it's just everything that you want Little Shop to be. And let's not be. overlook the puppetry. That no? was spectacular oh, so for well a done. small theater. Yes. It was like... yes. Just like oh my god, the so puppet. good. Gideon Glick, like this role was like written for him. Oh, yeah. He's perfection. Oh mm-hmm. Christian yeah. Morrill, like redefining how funny Orin can be. Like the two of them, I'm so obsessed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and one name we haven't mentioned yet is Tammy Blanchard, who plays Audrey. So <laughs> you guys both we just both made a face. Face. <laughs> same face. Oh. So sh- let's let's do it. Let's talk about Audrey. <laughs> um there were for me, there were some vocal problems. Yeah. I was just mm-hmm. like, this is not the best Audrey. And I've seen it so many times like you have that I'm just like 
Yeah. There's a high school production out there that has an Audrey that's amazing. And <laughs> this wasn't it. Wow. This wasn't it. What I loved is that sometimes people, especially like, I don't know, so just sometimes people play Audrey as very meek. Mm-hmm. And she was not at all. No. She like felt really grounded and I loved her acting choices. Yeah. Vocally, yeah, she was not there for me. Yeah. Her Summer That's Green and her Suddenly Seymour, I was like, these should be my favorite songs. Mm-hmm. And instead I'm like re-falling in love with the Urchins, Gideon Glick, and Christian Borel. Yeah. Who's the, yeah. the girl from Pose that plays MJ it? MJ Rodriguez. Yes. yes. I've seen a video of her and it's like spectacular. Yes. And then... I, you know, live Tammy, and I'm just like, yeah. Well, so I went out to Pasadena last summer to Mm -hmm. see Little Shop there, which was this is the production you're referring to with Mm -hmm. MJ Rodriguez playing Audrey and George Salazar as Seymour, and the two of them, and Amber Riley, and Amber Riley as Audrey, too. Yes, Um, the two of them were. Unbelievable together, oh and like I, I keep waiting for the, like the announcement that like broad the, the the replacement in New York is going to be oh, you know okay. George Salazar and MJ so Rodriguez exciting. like bring them into this production because they would be terrific. Would yeah. be weird though, well to go from one production to a completely different production. Why not? <laughs> Uh, I just love them so much, and I agree. She was a terrific, yes. terrific Audrey. I, just and that what they clip, did, in, I was like, "What in, is going on here?" Yeah, and what they did in that production, which there were like notes of in this production, um, is they played everything very straight and very like natural, um, specifically regarding the abuse that Audrey receives, mm-hmm. right? And uh, having a trans actor play the part as well, like obviously it it, it became much more vivid, and they they mm. they had set into the present. Um, oh. uh, as opposed to making it a period piece. So there were some things that just did not work because the show is inherently campy. Yeah. And when you strip it of the camp, it's like, it's very confusing tonally. Um, but those moments of like truth behind the words mm-hmm. that, sh- that she says about the abuse she's in- enduring uh, were incredibly powerful as mm-hmm. delivered by MJ Rodriguez. And I thought Tammy too brought like a great humanity to the role in those moments because it, it can be tricky because some of it's, it's meant to be funny, but it's, it's a tricky kind of humor. Yeah. Did they update all of the lyrics to Somewhere That's Green? No, and that's, again, that's why it didn't fully work. It was a great idea that just didn't quite click because there are textual references that you yeah. that you can't I almost escape. feel like, too, that Tammy was trying to be too much like the film, like the sound of it. Oh, and that yeah. could kind of come off wrong. Yeah. Whereas, like, MJ, the clip that I saw, she brought her own yeah. into that part. So it was like, I don't know. The accent is just easy to get ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And MJ, like, from the, I only saw a clip, yeah, but she didn't yeah. do it that hard. Right, no, I think right. It made it no. feel more her. It made it feel so much more, like, political and great and, like, mm-hmm. this is, like, a more, a great realistic representation of, like, someone in Skid Row who maybe would be stuck in an abusive relationship. Right. Yeah. But like yeah. you said, without the camp or without all the yeah, camp, it, this production was so campy. Yes. That's why I loved yes. it. But I would love, theoretically, some, like, Actual like diversity politics with the camp. With yeah, the yeah. Well, that's why that's why I say I keep waiting for the cast <laughs> announcement that they're going to do it because it's interesting. I don't know if you if you both have followed. There's been some like Twitter conversation around the fact that Jonathan Groff was cast as Seymour initially, right? We got to talk about hot. Well, Seymour, you know, we can <laughs> please can we? <laughs> yes, you know, and and the you know Seymour is according to the text of the play, you know, not supposed to be attractive. It's supposed to be kind of schlubby and like, right. you know, uh, and, and Jewish as well. Mm-hmm. And, and Jonathan Groff is like the waspiest of wasps. Like I, I'm keep waiting to be invited to his clam bake. You know, like <laughs> it's just, he's like the, the whitest, you know, most Protestant yeah. person you could imagine. Um, and yet I, th- I thought he was terrific in the part, 
you know, an actor is an actor, right? Mm-hmm. So they're given a role, they play the role, they, you know, they bring what they can to it. Um, but I would agree that Gideon Glick brings a quality mm-hmm. to the role that Jonathan Groff did mm-hmm. not. I love um, and was just perfectly It's cast. just like a sincere geekness. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you're right. It, it's a geekiness. It has nothing yeah. to do, because, I mean, for my money, I think they're both rather attractive. You mm-hmm. know, so it has nothing to do with how they look. It's, it's, it's uh, you're right, it's the geek quality. Yeah. It's hard to buy Jonathan Groff being a geek, right? And just know. like right. Gideon's like lanky tininess yes. really yes. helps with him Size. embodying mm-hmm. and the totally. choreography. Yeah. I don't know if they changed any of like the choreo. I don't think they Jonathan did. No, I don't think Gideon. they did. I think it, it just lands differently. I just don't think Gideon, I don't think Jonathan shaking his butt would be. Yeah, it's funny as Gideon <laughs> shaking his butt. There you go. There you go. Well, then next up is Jeremy Jordan, right? So that spawned this whole like sexy Seymour thing on Twitter, right? Of like, oh, oh we're just going to keep casting these like objectively attractive people as as Seymour. And like and I, real uh, publications were trolling them, like Theater Mania yes, published they a, went like, in deep. a yeah. list of like all the Broadway hotties to cast. <laughs> yes, yes. And then Jeremy, I don't know if it was supposed to be funny or serious, but tweeted like, I actually am like a geek and posted like four photos of himself like making funny faces. What? Like, I feel like that's the first time <laughs> I'm actually going to go just to watch Seymour's character. <laughs> it's because he's in it and that's... Yeah, yeah. Pretty much it. Otherwise, yeah. I'm watching the urchins all the time. I mean, Jeremy's so talented. It's just like so good. after Gideon, it's a letdown. For me. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I think I'm too. Also, I'm, I'm gonna have to make a visit. Yeah. Back to- and the last time I saw him was in um, American Sun, which was so depressing. Uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's it'd real, be that's real. great. Well, this would be a very different yeah, character. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For sure, for sure. Okay. Well, let's uh, move on now to our last show of the episode, Moulin Rouge, the musical. Um, once again, I, I don't know if anybody doesn't know what this is, but right. I'm going to just, you know, to check the box, I'm going to share with, with uh, the, our audience a little synopsis. Um, so it's obviously it's based on Baz Luhrmann's beloved 2001 film, Moulin Rouge. Um, and this stage musical tells the fictional story of an ambitious, lovesick writer named Christian, uh-huh, uh-huh, um, and a dazzling and trancing chanteuse, Satine, whose lives collide at the famous Moulin Rouge in Fin de Siècle, Paris, run by impresario Harold Ziedler and frequented by starving artist Toulouse-Lautrec, tango dancer and gigolo Santiago, and the Duke of Monroth, a wealthy and entitled patron of the club who thinks he can buy anything he wants, including love. So this is like, you know, sort of the big budget musical of the season. I believe it cost $28 million. It's uh, currently playing at the Al Hirschfeld Theater and making... Bank. Bank. Mm. You Bank. can't get a dollar off a ticket. No. <laughs> they what? opened in August, I think, yes. August. And it was yeah. like a risky time. And it's a yes. very, yeah. they have a very high running cost. Yeah. So I, and they need to make it to Tony yeah. season. Oh, so yeah. they're not discounting anything. No, no, no. And, <laughs> and I mean, I, I, I actually looked this up. So it's, it's $156 is the average ticket price. Average ticket price for this show. Um, and it, that makes it the third most expensive ticket on Broadway after yes. Hamilton and American Utopia. Well, they give you a pre-show, so yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess you Worth get your money. Price. You'll get a great piece <laughs> of Instagram content, right? In the, yeah, in the yeah, lobby. Yeah. yeah. So I will start by saying what I liked about this show, um, and uh, Ayana, you actually just touched on part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like the mise en scène, right? Like the whole production design of it mm-hmm. together is so incredible, and it mm-hmm. it look it, it if you're spending one hundred fifty six dollars or more likely two hundred dollars, you want it to look like $200 or $28 million, mm-hmm. and it does, mm-hmm. right? And there are two shows on Broadway in particular right now that have a really fabulous sort of pre-show atmosphere. One is Beetlejuice, 
The other is Moulin Rouge, both directed by Alex Timbers, who clearly understands that the show starts the minute you enter that auditorium. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine the experience of either of those shows not having that pre-show lighting and music and movement. Mm -hmm. I mean, Beetlejuice doesn't have the same, doesn't have bodies moving on stage, but there is, you know, there's a visual element to it the second you walk into the theater that just completely brings you into the Mm -hmm. atmosphere of the show. And that... immersive theater. Yes, and and that is, to me, so successful in this production. Mm -hmm. It is opulent, it is gorgeous, it is expensive, and even in Act 2 you're still like, oh wow, they have more surprises Mm -hmm. for me in the visual design Mm -hmm. of this show. Like, how is that possible? You I know, know, I mean, the moment so, I walked in, I said, "Just hand them the set design." Right? Yeah, that live throw, costume. Right? Honestly, you take them. I'm all three. Hundred percent. Yeah. So it it is it is so well designed, mm-hmm. and it it makes such a, an impression visually and orally. I mean, the show sounds great too. Mm-hmm. The, that ensemble, the lead characters, their voices are unbelievable. You know, you have to like stop yourself and be like, "Oh no, I'm not listening to a pre-recorded studio engineer right. thing." No, Karen Olivo is actually singing that live mm-hmm. on a. Swing. On a swing, upside down, upside and a corset. down, in a yeah. corset. Yes, that you moment know? is fabulous. Yes, yes. Um, so, five stars in terms of of that element. But mm-hmm. as we know, that is not enough to make a successful mm-hmm. show. And <laughs> I just feel like all of that is in service of nothing in terms of the substance of the show itself. I don't think that Aaron Tveit and Karen Olivo have one ounce of chemistry between the two oh, of they them. Don't. Yeah. There's, and that's true. Without a love story in the middle of Moulin Rouge, what is the point? And Hot what? Duke makes it make no sense. That actor that, is so hot and well, his costume is so tight. Yes. That ruined that whole plot line making <laughs> sense Hot too. Duke TM, I'm going to start using that. Um, yes, and that and that character is so poorly written. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no resolution to his story whatsoever. The show just ends. You don't know what happens. Mm-hmm. You have no idea what happens to that character and that whole love triangle. And you never understand that character at all. It's so I also think befuddling. some of the music comes in at the wrong time. Yes. I don't know if yes. it's like because I've heard this music and I associate it with something else mm-hmm. that when it comes on, what's there's one song that comes on when someone is dying and I'm just like, this is not <laughs> the right song for this. Yes. But it's, also, because I have history with that song, right, you know right. I mean? Well, but so. that's but that's also part of the part the part, part of the point, right? So that's there are I, I guess we haven't said this yet. There are over seventy songs right. in the show from one hundred and sixty one different authors and artists, right? Which kudos another you know tip of the hat to the orchestrators oh, and arrangers yeah. of the show. It took like four people because how could you do it, right? Yeah. But and it all sounds part of a whole, right? I mean, it, it's it's all very well arranged and put together. Yeah. Um, but. I agree with you. I had the exact same experience seeing the show. I've actually seen it twice. I went uh, right when it opened, and then I, I took my boss to see it um, back in December. Um, and I, I'm actually glad I got to see it a second time because I, I had, I did not enjoy it the first time. And I, and it, it, it's been this wild success. And you know, New York Times raved about it. So I was like, okay, maybe I just didn't get it. Like maybe there's something I'm missing. I saw it a second time, and it confirmed everything I, <laughs> that I thought about it. Which is the device of using popular music, mm-hmm. you know, sort of anachronistically in this story from 1899. Um, you know, it, it worked on film because it was played with a certain sincerity. Right. And in this musical, A, they've updated all the musical references. So it's literally music that is on the radio now, right? As opposed to 20 years ago when mm-hmm. the film came out. Um, but every single time a new song, you know, was, was introduced, 
people in the audience laughed. Right. Which meant yes. that even in the most serious moments mm-hmm. of the show, people are laughing because they're like trying to figure out what it is and they're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, right. that's Lady Gaga. And but is like, any moment that serious in Moulin Rouge the musical? No. Well, so then it's what? okay. <laughs> I loved it. Okay, I, okay, I, okay. I'm outing myself. No. I loved it. I wrote a review, so it's not that outing. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. loved Moulin Rouge. I like the musical. It's a hot take. I like the musical better than the movie. Okay. Because I think that I find the anachronisms jarring in the film because I feel like Although they maybe they play it straight and it feels too serious because I feel like it's yeah. ridiculous. Like Nicole Kidman is in this gown and is singing like Elton John. And I'm like, what's happening? But then here it's like it's having so much fun. They like literally almost wink at the audience every time they like add no, a new song. They're winking. And like they wink. I had a great time. I think it knows what it is, which is not serious high art, which I think the movie really was. Like, it was an Oscar-nominated yes. film. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And although this will likely be a Tony-nominated musical, I don't think it's trying to, like, be sophisticated Boz Lerman art. It's, like, trying to be a spectacular that you're just going to have, like, a real fun time at. And I really did have a fun time. You're definitely going to have a fun time because it's, like, tunes that you've grown up to. I, but, like, that's yeah, what I like, went in wanting. I just wanted yeah. a fun time. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was going to be, like... Hades Town, or yeah. like Octet, and like yeah. make me which think is, about life. Which is crazy because it is the story of Orpheus. Yes, yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> it totally is. Yeah. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, I, so, I mean, it's just a question of like, uh, you know, an ideological approach to how you see the show, right? Because, yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I totally understand that take. I just, um, I felt like there was absolutely no emotion on that stage. There was nothing real to any of it, and if it's not rooted in something, I just the the story is no emotional payoff for me. Mm-hmm. And I even even in something that is a light entertainment, I mean, like SpongeBob SquarePants, I was weeping at the end of SpongeBob oh, SquarePants, I mean, right? Like, and I weeped watching it on TV. Again. Yes, because yeah. because despite the fact that Such it is silly show. and it is you know kind of absurdist, there was so there was a truth so to it. There oh, was a truth so to those characters and and to the allegory of the whole piece, right? And. And in Moulin Rouge, I just feel like I should feel something. Something like, at some point other to, than just, you know, mm. being like, wow, this is impressive yeah. and it sounds great and it looks great. Yeah. But do you go to Moulin Rouge wanting plot? I don't. I wanted a spectacle. <laughs> I want to have fun. So I want to be eternally for dance. Yeah. And like, I got it all. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I mean, fair. Absolutely fair. Totally fair. Like, Spongebob, you don't go in thinking, like, there's going to be a plot, and they're going to, like, take on xenophobia and racism and cults and, like, but climate change. But they do. Good surprise. But, like, and when those bubbles came down, I wept. Uh, (laughs) I wept. Reader, I wept. Did you weep when you were covered in confetti at the end of Moulin Rouge? (laughs) No. No. No, No. I I was looking for the exit. That was a great Instagram picture, by the way. It's Uh, the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so my my other critique of the show, and this is not necessarily of the show, it's sort of a, a producer's choice. Mm-hmm. Um, is I think it's in the wrong theater. It's at the Al Hirschfeld Theater on 45th Fifth. Street. Um, and I, when I saw it the first time, I was in like the fifth row of the orchestra. And I feel like the it's, it's the rare example of a musical in these days, I'm using air quotes again, mm-hmm. that is too big for the theater yeah. that it's in, right? The set mm-hmm. design, I looked up, the set design extends out into the audience up until the front of the mezzanine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is to say, to get the full effect of that design, you need to be sitting in the rear mezzanine of the theater. Well, I mean, it's cool that there's no bad seats. Yeah. But, sure, but... But it I, is a little too big. Like, it's like, it needed the marquee theater. It needed the marquee it needed the, or the Broadway or, or the like Gershwin. The Gershwin, which it's never going to get. No. Ever. But doesn't but, that yeah. make it, like, extremely immersive for you to be in the... Oh, sorry. The orchestra and, like, looking up and you're like... 
it's taking over. I liked feeling like I was in like a small Paris cabaret that had a set design that was too big for it. Like I yeah, I felt immersed. Like I felt like I liked the too bigness. Like the elephant and the windmill are like crowded. Right. Like they're almost touching the ceiling. I loved that because the film and everything feels like there's too much. And I like yeah. I like its yeah. overstuffedness. It, it felt too big for me. I mean, because to me, there's a difference between immersion a la um, uh, Great Comet, right? Yeah. Where mm. it is clearly designed to be that you're sitting in it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's all masked around, right? Versus this, which had like, uh, if you looked up, you're not seeing a, to- a complete picture. You're mm-hmm. seeing the lighting and the gaps between the 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 you know set dressing rather mm-hmm. than seeing a full picture. Does yeah. that make sense? I feel like if Moulin Rouge, which they did have a big budget, but if they had like a MacArthur Grant, <laughs> like Great Comet had, yeah. to redesign a theater, yeah. even, I mean, they did literally redesign yeah. the theater, but mm-hmm. I think if they had an even huger budget, they would have maybe done something even more immersive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they did like rip out every seat and like but yeah, I would, rip out and, the boxes. But I would rather see that. Yeah. That's, that's the Moulin Rouge I want to see. And in fact, my biggest issue with John Logan's book is the fact that the framing of it just seems like such a missed opportunity. Why isn't the whole show a show within a show? And why is Christian, mm. why, why, why does Christian narrate it when Harold Ziedler starts the show off? Well, he narrates himself. like three lines. Well, yeah, but it's, there's, there's, a, there's a competing narration device yeah. that's set up right from the get-go of the show that's just so confusing. And poor Danny Burstein, six-time Tony Award nominee, yep. has nothing to do. Nothing. Nothing uh, to do. That actually made me and, really mad. And it's because they don't know what they're doing framing-wise, the opening number is like 18 minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just like, so does not stop. The audience clap like six different times. Yes. <laughs> but it's yes. one song. It's a spectacular spectacular. But it is. where do you go from there? You know, and, and it's confusing. And, and I don't know that they know. Frankly, I think when the, they're in a show or when they're in a show within a show or when they're playing mm. it straight, when are they in the reality of Paris 1899 or when are they on stage? Like there's a scene in Act 2 where they're like in a park. I don't know if you yes. remember this. And it's like, and I'm sitting there and there's literally a frame around it. And I'm thinking, okay, are we watching a number or are they actually in a park? If I'm confused... I don't know, you know, what to make of it. I just think that like it, just it seems has like a sloppy slight, dramaturgy. It's like a, mm. a sloppier version of cabaret, yeah. uh, because well, yeah, there's the, so much like on stage and off stage, yeah. and they didn't and the way lean in conversation in. with yeah. each other. But exactly, but they, they didn't, didn't lean into in, right. the like we're going to stage right. this in the Kit Kat Club, like right. the last, re- which gets back to that ideological, you know, sort of war we're having here, uh, <laughs> friendly war, friendly cold <laughs> war um, between art and commerce, right? Like this is clearly something that is making a lot of money and is is leaning on its commercial value to get butts in the seats, and is clearly very successful. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I, who am I to you know? It's working, <laughs> right? It but from really a, from an artistic point of view, I just I question a lot of the choices that were made, and I. I, I, I wish they were daring enough to and bold enough to make it truly immersive. And, and don't do it on Broadway. Do it in a space in New York that you can actually make it like you're walking into the Moulin Rouge and make the whole show a Moulin Rouge show. It would yeah. be cool. Right? It would be that cool just seems to so do obvious it. obvious to me. I mean, this doesn't exist. They'd have to build it. But in my perfect <laughs> yeah. world, they would build a theater that had a backstage that was like as big as a, the mm, audience so yeah. they could just like move you backstage yes, uh-huh. would be cool. Yeah, that sounds yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, that, that's a whole, we could do a whole podcast yeah. just on the, the limitations of theaters on Broadway and yeah. our, our Victorian sensibilities yeah. in My the architecture. My takeaway from Moulin Rouge is you know. just have a pre-show and an encore yeah. and I'd be happy. Like, <laughs> well, that's the takeaway I got from Tina. Have an encore. Yeah, you know? have an encore. It's I mean, like, I just took Moulin Rouge, like Tina, as a great concert. Yeah. Yes. I was like, I'm yeah. going to pretend there isn't really a book here and that these 
book scenes are just for you actors to have a good time. They're not for me. I'm just going to enjoy the songs. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, those book scenes. Woof, woof. Okay. All righty. Well, I feel like we could go on and on and on, but we've made our points. Um, Great. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on this episode. Before we go, can you share with listeners where they can find you and your work online? I'll start with you, Ayanna. Sure. I'm on Twitter at Ayanna Prescott, A-Y-A-N-N-A-P-R-E-S-C-O-D. And my work can be found at RBK Social, O-U-R-B-K Social, on all social platforms. Fabulous. And Christian? Uh, I'm on Twitter at C. Lewis Reviews, which is C-L-E-W-I-S, and then Reviews. Uh, <laughs> I tweet everything that I publish, but a lot of my stuff is on Medium, but you can find it on Twitter. Fabulous. Excellent. Um, and I'd like to put in a little plug for my other podcast, uh, The Fabulous Invalid, which you can also find on the Broadway Podcast Network. Uh, That show features interviews with a roster of some of the most important and innovative people working in the theater, from actors to writers, directors, designers, and everyone in between. Uh, It's The Fabulous Invalid. You can find out more at thefabulousinvalid.com or on bpn.fm backslash fabulousinvalid. And while I have you, uh, I'm excited to share my new favorite website, Social Goods. Uh, It's an online store that offers a curated slate of statement-making merchandise that gives back to nonprofits tackling today's most pressing issues, from Every Town for Gun Safety to Planned Parenthood of New York, the Special Olympics, and more. Uh, This podcast is called Stage Left for a reason, so we've partnered with Social Goods to offer a special discount for our listeners. You can go to social-goods.com and use the code STAGELEFT15 at checkout to receive 50% off your first purchase. That's Social Goods, where every transaction comes with real action. And that was a commercial, but a friendly commercial because they're friends of mine. Um, All righty. Thank you, Christian. Thank you, Ayana. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, and I look forward to having you both on the show again. Yeah, absolutely. Just across the road. Just behind the wall. Just around the corner. A new bit of history there. Write something you all might underestimate. That's it for this week. Stage Left, the podcast, is a co-production of the fabulous Invalid LLC and o and Etc., and a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode was edited and engineered by Jamie Dumont and Charles Van Kirk. And special thanks to Jason Robert Brown for our theme song, Wait Till You See What's Next, from his spectacular album, How We React and How We Recover. You can find this podcast online at stageleft.nyc, on the Broadway Podcast Network website, on iTunes, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can read my archive of reviews at stageleft.nyc and find me on Twitter at stageleft underscore nyc. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll tune in next time. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today. 
at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.